You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join us every Monday as we pull back the curtain on Mormon history, culture, and doctrine. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism. Okay, Bo and KD, finally we get to this part in the pursuit, topic four in the pursuit. Remember, there are 12 topics overall. The first three are kind of introductory. The next three, and this is the first in the next three, are all about like how to become a Christian. I mean, it's the best way to say it is how do I how do I become a Christian? You know, so for people who are listening who are Mormons or who grew up Mormon, these next three topics are super important. I mean, maybe Bo and Katie, you can speak to that before we even get into it, because you guys were here not very many months ago, and and uh, you know you were tackling some of these issues, these next three topics. We're going to talk about sin today. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about basically how to become a Christian, how to respond in faith to Jesus. And these are, I guess these are all words that you would have in in, Mormon, in Mormonism, but yet it's it's going to be like worlds apart, right? What the Bible says about it is actually really, really different from what you guys grew up for 30 plus years being taught in the Mormon church. Both Christians and Mormons believe that we can't enter God's presence um, while being unclean or being sinful. Um, both believe we have a sin problem that separates us from God, and um, and we believe in it. We both believe in a type of separation from God after death because of sin. But I think, like exploring those and then exploring the differences will help our listeners understand, um, like you said, how to be Christian. So today we're going to talk about what sin is, according to the Bible. And spoiler alert, Mormons, Mormon theology has it a little bit wrong. Now, I know maybe that sounds arrogant for me to say it like that, but just from the perspective of the Bible, it's very, di- it might seem like just a little bit different, but we're going to see that it's actually really, really, really different. Because when it's like two degrees apart, you know, at, on day one, then by day 100, it's it's 180 degrees apart. So that this is what we're going to be seeing is the vast difference between what Mormons teach about sin and what the Bible teaches about sin. And Bo, maybe we can do what we did last week. We'll have you put your seminary teacher hat on. You taught seminary for years. How would you have explained sin to your Mormon students in seminary? I think what I would what I would have done is I, I would have pulled out the Book of Mormon um, instead of the Bible, and I would have taught from the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon teaches something quite different from what the Bible teaches about Adam and Eve, about original sin, um, and and really it's where the difference begins, in my opinion, between well. I mean, we've already covered some differences on this podcast about what we believe about where we come from, for example, right, and and who God is and who we are. But but this topic, there, there is quite a difference. So I would have pulled out the Book of Mormon for sure, and I would have opened up to Second Nephi chapter two. So for Christians listening, um, uh, who who maybe don't know what that is, that that's a book in the Book of Mormon. So it's the second book in the Book of Mormon, written by a prophet named Nephi, which is what Joseph Smith claimed. And in this chapter, 2 Nephi chapter 2, um, it's all about uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the Garden of Eden, 
sin entering the world and the result of sin entering the world. And it's quite a bit different from what we learn in, in the Book of Mormon. Now, Mormons don't believe that Second Nephi 2 replaces what we learn about Adam and Eve in the Bible. So, so that's where it gets a bit confusing because Christians are like, well, hang on, they're adding to the Bible. And, and a Mormon would say, no, we're not adding to the Bible. We believe in the Bible, as far as it's translated correctly. The Book of Mormon is a separate record written in the uh, on the American continent by ancient American prophets would be a Mormon's claim here. So when they when they say that, you know, Second Nephi chapter 2 teaches about Adam and Eve and about the fall and stuff, that's from a, a different perspective from a different prophet on a different continent is, is what a Mormon would teach here. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's get into it. So if I were teaching um, sin, I would open up to, to Second Nephi chapter 2 and I would read verses... 15 through 25. And I, we can skim through this, but basically what it teaches is that Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, um, and they were given a couple really important commandments, right? But that they could not fulfill those commandments without breaking one or the other, which, which is kind of a, a bit of a paradox or a, a tricky situation, right? Because um, basically what we learn about is that God gave them the ability to act for themselves, um, but that they couldn't act for themselves unless they were enticed by one or the other, by God or by the devil. And so in the Garden of Eden, they're allowed to be tempted, and uh, they, they choose to partake of the fruit. Eve, right? Eve, Adam and Eve partake of the forbidden fruit, uh, which... which I think most Christians are, are kind of tracking here, right? But the difference for Mormons here is they believe that that was, not only was it part of the plan, but that it was essential for human beings to, to come to earth. And, and so here, I'll, I'll read a couple of these verses um, just so that we can kind of understand the, the Mormon take. So, so 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. So it says, and they would have had no children, wherefore they, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. And Adam fell, and this is the most important verse right here for Mormons, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. So that... That is the, the, the take for Mormons on why Adam fell. Adam fell, Adam and Eve fell so that they could have children and that they could know joy. Um, and, and what it says here in the Book of Mormon is that they, they didn't have joy in the Garden of Eden because they knew no misery and they couldn't do good because they didn't know sin. So that's, that's essentially the Mormon's take here. And, and then I would take them to... One more teaching from the Prophet Joseph Smith, if we want to go there. Hold on. Let me just ask you a question before we leave Second Nephi, because this is really fascinating. I, I, it's been a long time since I've read this passage, but l- let me just try to help our listeners wrap their minds around this. So, so correct me if I'm wrong here, Professor. So this is <laughs> essentially like a parallel account of the Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 account, Genesis 3 account, actually. Supposed to be, yeah. yeah. That would be that would be a 
Mormon's claim or Joseph Smith's claim here. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you said, when you're reading, I mean, I'm kind of reading, I'm skimming this as you're talking through this and it's a lot of it really kind of feels like it's really just taken from the Genesis account. Okay. But then like what you just read, you read verse 23, but verse 22 is super interesting to me because verse 22 says, and now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, right? So Adam and Eve sin. It says if he wouldn't have transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden, and all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created, and they must have remained forever and had no end, and they would have had no children. So basically, if I, am I reading this right, Bo, that, that the prophet Nephi is saying that it was a good thing that Adam and Eve sinned? It's a good thing that they disobeyed God? Because basically that allowed them to have children? Yeah, that, that would be Mormon's belief. They would call it a great thing. They would, they would call it mm. a fall forward into, basically a fall forward into God's plan mm. of redemption. So they, Mormons would view this, again, I think verse 25 sums it up. Adam fell right. that men might be and men are that they might have joy. That is definitely a Mormon's perspective of, of the fall for sure. Okay, so number one, we're going to try to, we're going to try to maybe keep track for our listeners coming out of Mormonism or really for any of our listeners, but really because we want to, we want to make sure to draw the distinction. So number one, sin is the, the fall was good. I think is if we're let's let's number these. Number one, the fall was a good thing. By the way, I have to say, am I reading this right that this was allegedly to have been written about 588 to 570 BC? That's what it says at the top of chapter two. So this was written about 588 BC by the prophet Nephi in the Americas. I'm I'm assuming, right? That's yeah, that's the claim. Yep. But it's so interesting that if it was written in 58, this is like for another podcast, by the way. But it says, did you guys ever notice this? Verse 26, it says, and the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time. Messiah wasn't a word in 588 BC. Messiah is a, is a Greek concept in the New Testament. It's not, a New Te- it's not an Old Testament word. I just had to throw that in there. That's for another conversation. But that's like, a re- like I'm reading this and I'm saying, wait, wh- when was this supposed to have been written? I'm sure Bo and Katie, you guys have you never really even really put that together because this has just been your scripture since you were young kids. But for me, a Christian who's who's very, I'm very familiar and comfortable with the Old and New Testaments. I'm basically reading something that's equivalent to the Old Testament. It's Old Testament time period allegedly, and it reads like the New Testament. That would that'd be like a big time red flag that I'd throw at it. Yeah, no, for sure, right? This. This is allegedly around the same time as the prophet Isaiah, but but you're right. There, there's a lot of New Testament terminology mm. and even even like early European terminology mm. and, and even American terminology in here. So in, in the Book of Mormon, which which is probably something we should reserve for a full podcast. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, even just to read verse 28, it talks about a, a, there's a great mediator. Again, that's a concept from the New Testament. That's not really a concept that's developed in the Old Testament. So, and I'm sure there's a lot of that. If I were to really spend some time, maybe I need to do that and just read through the Book of Mormon again. I'm, I'm sure I'd be marking the thing up all over the place. Like this is, this it's an anachronism essentially. It's not. It doesn't fit in. T- it's kind of like if you're if you're reading a novel about the Civil War and there's an iPhone in the in the novel, you're like, wait, that doesn't right. make sense. An iPhone doesn't belong in the Civil War novel. 
And and so th- that's kind of how I feel reading this. I'm like, yeah, that was kind of a miss. That was a miss. That, that that would be definitely like a brick that would stack up against the Book of Mormon. But anyway, let's get back to the topic, Bo. So, <laughs> so I interrupted you. So, so 2 Nephi 2 is one, is one place that you would point to, to to teach your seminary students about a Mormon perspective on sin. What, what else would you bring up to them? Yeah, I would also bring up um, Article of Faith 2. And, and this one's an important one. So, so Joseph Smith wrote you know, several articles of faith that, that have been canonized and are considered scripture. And every Mormon memorizes these in primary and seminary and for their mission and all that stuff, right? So Article of Faith 2 says, we believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. So it, it takes Second Nephi 2, it takes it one step further and says, okay, look, not only was Adam's transgression a good thing, because we all get to be here as a result, but we're not going to be punished for his sin. We're going to be punished for our own sin. So it kind of, it kind of gets rid of this concept of original sin and basically says, no, you as, as a human can choose to be righteous or you can choose to sin. It's up to you. It's not up to, uh, you're not held accountable for Adam's transgression, which, I mean, we can get into, you know, just a misunderstanding of what Adam's transgression really was. I think that's ultimately what we're dealing with here. But, um, but that would be a Mormon's a Mormon stance here, right? Is that we're punished for our own sin, not for Adam's. Okay, so I can hear um, a listener who's coming out of Mormonism saying, "Okay, what's the problem with that? Like that right. makes sense to me. Don't punish me for my dad's sins. Um, l- punish my dad for my dad's sins. Don't punish me for my dad's sins. What's what do you?" Like, what is the, are we just splitting hairs here, Bo, now that you kind of understand it from a different perspective? Are we splitting hairs here, or is there a real danger in these two differences that you just pointed out with Mormonism? Yeah, we're, we're not splitting hairs. There's, it, it's quite different from what the Bible teaches, from what biblical Christianity, um, you know, has traditionally taught, and, it, and it's it's something that will create a a works-based culture. So because, um, how do I put this? Well, because the belief is, you know, the age of accountability is eight in Mormonism. So from eight years on, you're accountable for your own sins and you can choose to be righteous uh, and you should choose to be righteous, right? So, so, so Mormons believe that um, because we're here to have joy, we, we innately have good in us to choose righteous or to choose wickedness. And it's up to us, um, which, which I would say is for, for Christians listening, even they might think, well, yeah, it, it is kind of up to us, but it's no, it's, we're all broken. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. And until you've accepted Jesus, until the Holy Spirit has entered you, until you've become a temple for God, the, the sinful nature is going to rule. And, and that's, I don't know, we, I'm sure we could, we could t- talk about this for quite a while, but, but when I, I, hopefully it makes sense when I say a works-based culture is what it, what it creates. Mm-hmm. Like it really does create this, like I'm going to choose to be righteous and I'm more righteous than this person next to me because I sinned less than they did, right? Like that's, like I'm going to be punished for three things 
but he's going to be punished for 10 things. And my three things were little things. I stole a Snickers bar. I said a bad word and I broke the speed limit. Right. Mm. <laughs> like, cool. But this other person, um, you know, maybe broke the law of chastity. So that's a worse sin. Mm. So they're going to be punished more than me and I'm a better person or I'm more righteous or whatever. Like, again, that's sort of a negative way to, to state that, but hopefully it makes sense what I'm saying. So is that, was that the experience that you had? Again, I think our Mormon listeners are totally tracking with you. Probably our Christian listeners might, might, might not completely understand what you're saying. Is, was that a, a palatable experience in the Mormon church where there's, a, there's like this comparison game that you guys tend to play with other people in your ward? Yeah, it's um, constant. And, and, I, and I feel terrible uh, about having done that my whole life, right? Like I, and, and look, there, there's plenty of awesome talks by, you know, uh, Mormon apostles that say, Hey, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Mm. We're all the same in the sight of God. But at the end of the day, the, the culture is not that the culture is a workspace culture where you're working for your, your own salvation. You're working to become righteous. And then you ask Jesus to make up the difference. And it just isn't, it's definitely not the same. That's what I would say. Is that, Katie, is that how it worked for women as well? Or was that just a men problem in the Mormon church? No, it's definitely a women problem too. And I think that um, uh, it also, so this isn't biblical, but what this also creates is a kind of a ranking of sin, mm. right? Like there's worse sins and lesser sins within Mormonism and some of the, this probably goes into a slightly different topic, but this would be a difference I think is that like repentance in Mormonism is a, is a process that with some sins needs, you need a bishop or sometimes even a stake president, mm -hmm. you know, to get involved in um, your repentance process because the sin was so grievous. Whereas like Bo said, if you've, you know, stolen a candy bar or broken the speed limit, that is something you can, you know, repent from on your own. So is it true? Cause I've heard this with my kids having friends going on their missions, you graduate from high school, you go on your mission. Is it true that you have to do an interview with a bishop or somebody and you've, you're supposed to confess your sins and they decide if your sins are bad enough to hold you back for a while? Like you kind of have to work, maybe work it off. Is that yeah. true or is that like a rumor? It is true. So you, you're, you go to your bishop um, and you, you have essentially a worthiness interview. Mm. Uh, before before you go on your mission. Um, now, now, look, you, you're used to these worthiness interviews because as a youth in the church, you have a worthiness interview every year, sometimes multiple times a year with your priesthood leader, with your bishop. Um, closed door, you and the bishop alone. And uh, it, it, it's a pretty stressful situation for some people. Um, also, it, it can be like a very proud moment for others that like to wear their religion on their sleeve like I did growing up, to be honest. And again, I, I think I've already said it was, it's, I'm not proud of it, but, um, but anyway, so, so yeah, you, you have a worthiness interview, um, before you go on your mission and, and you definitely get held back if you've committed, um, a large enough sin where the bishop says, yeah, you need, you need time to 
repent or work off this sin or whatever you want to say before you're able to go preach the gospel. And then everybody knows it. So everybody knows if you don't go out when everybody else goes out that, oh, uh, I mean, it's not like they post your sins at the ward on Sunday, but it's pretty obvious. Well, no, you had to wait. You had to wait a few months. So, So my son has a friend that everyone knew this guy was not a good Mormon. And he went on his mission immediately. And one of AJ's other friends was a was actually a good kid who probably made some mistake and felt bad about it and admitted it to his to his bishop. And so this this the good kid, like the genuinely kind of a good Mormon kid, had to wait. And this other kid that everybody in school, everybody knew, they were like, you just totally lied to your bishop. Is that a is that a rare thing, or have you ever heard of that before in in your experience? Oh, that happens in every ward around the world. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh absolutely. my god. Especially with with youth in the church. I mean, you're dealing with youth that you know some of them have an insane sense of guilt. Yeah. Like like I did. Like you probably did too, <laughs> right? And others are like, no man, I'm good. I don't need to confess this stuff. Just let me go on mission. Let me do my thing. But I. You know what? You, you said something that I want to point out. You said, you know, one was not a good Mormon kid. The other was a good Mormon kid. And I think that right there, um, we, we need to hone in on, right? Because the Bible teaches yeah. something different about people, about humanity, about us being good or not, right? That's right. Anyway. Yeah, no, let's get into that because you're right. I'm glad you caught. Look at you. You are on the ball, Bo. Because, back. <laughs> because yeah, I think for our... Listeners with a Mormon background, you might have known exactly what I was talking about. But let me, let me now, let me qualify what I just said, because now let's look at what the Bible says about sin. In fact, I encourage people, if you're, if you're interested in some more theological content from PursueGod.org, there's a series online called Sistheo, Systematic Theology. It's a 12-topic intensive discipleship track, topic six in that series is all about humanity. And we talk about a kind of a biblical perspective on the Genesis 3 thing. I guess you could say the Nephi, second Nephi 2 thing as well. Here's the biblical perspective. Let me, let me just read from, from Sistheo chapter 6 at PursueGod.org. It says, The first humans lived in intimate relationship with God, Genesis 3, 8. But tempted to doubt God's goodness, they chose to disobey his prohibition and their act of rebellion, here's what their act of rebellion did. Okay, and I want, I want you to maybe listen to this, Bo and KD, and maybe you can respond to this and how different it is from what we saw in 2 Nephi 2 about what that act of rebellion did according to Mormon theology. Here's what it did according to biblical theology. Number one, it awakened, it awakened in them a sense of guilt and shame. Genesis 3.7. Number two, it alienated them from God. Genesis 3.10. Number three, it created enmity between them, between Adam and Eve. It created enmity between the two of them. So, so it wasn't just spiritual, a spiritual problem, a relationship with God, but it was a relational problem now. Any, any couple that's married right now listening to this, you can thank Adam and Eve for that. <laughs> okay, okay maybe, maybe you also have some part to play. Number, are we on number four? Number four, it subjected all of creation to a curse, Genesis 3.17, Romans 8.20. Number five, it introduced death into the world, 
1 Corinthians 15, 22. So those are five things that are very clear from Scripture, from a reading of the Bible, five things that are very, very different from the, the couple of good things that we see in Mormon theology when it comes to sin. You're taught a lot of this. Like, even in the temple, for example, you're taught a lot of this. And it's interesting that, like, Second Nephi 2 is, you know, hey, we're, we're all here to have joy, and, and Adam's sin was not, a, was not a bad thing, it was a good thing. But at the same time, we're also taught what the Bible teaches. So Mormons are also left with the understanding, um, I mean, a, a basic understanding of what you just shared, right, of those five things. So it's kind of funny that I think Mormons are kind of stuck between these two, mm. these two worlds of teachings where they're like, they understand what the Bible teaches, they believe what the Bible teaches, but then they've got Second Nephi 2 saying something a little bit different. And it can cause a bit of confusion. Um, and like I said, it can cause the desire to just kind of work for your, for your salvation. Let me read what, the Sistheo, what chapter 6 in Sistheo says about inherited sin and guilt. Because I think this is also, this is the second thing you brought up, Bo. And I think it's important to understand a biblical, under, a biblical perspective on this. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw a lot of scripture verses out there. I encourage people to, you know, we'll put those in the show notes below. Do your own research on this. See what See what God's word has to say about it. But here's what, here's what the article says in chapter six. Every person is answerable for his or her own sin. So first of all, let's just start with that. You're answerable for your own sin. Revelation 20, 12. It, like, it's, not like, it's not like if you were in Adam's place, you would have done better. <laughs> right? So it's yeah, not like we can blame point. Adam and Eve for this. Like you're, you, would, you would have made the same choice and... And you do make the same choice. You do actually still sin, actively sin. We all do. Okay, back to the article. But we are also subject to, con to consequences from Adam and Eve's original sin. First, every human being begins life in a condition of spiritual death and corruption. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And in a state of alienation from God, Romans 5.10. And both of those are inherited from Adam, Romans 5.12. So again, we're not making this up. This isn't some, some thing that that Christians made up somewhere down the line in history to, because they were just really cranky theologians. <laughs> like, this is from the Bible. This is from Scripture. Okay, number two, because of Adam's sin, we're born under a sentence of condemnation, Romans 5.16. This is because Adam, standing at the head of the human race, represents all human beings before God. In a similar way, Jesus stands at the head of a new redeemed humanity. We're going to get into that more in the next couple of weeks. And this is the good news. His actions represent all human beings who place their trust in him. So just as God imputes Jesus' righteousness to his spiritual children, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Adam's sin was imputed to his physical descendants. So, and that's a word maybe that some people with a Mormon background are unfamiliar with, but imputed righteousness is something we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, that Jesus gives us his righteousness, and, and we'll, we'll make you listen in a couple of weeks for how you get that. But it's connected to the... In, in a similar way, Adam's sin was imputed to us as well as his physical descendant. So we do have original sin, and we, we, but we also have actual sin. We, we also have sin that, that we commit every single day. We're all sinful beings. So, so back to what you called out on me, Bo, you're right. The good Mormon kid isn't good either. We're all broken. Every one of us. So, so the one kid, I get so frustrated when I think about him, but every, I think everyone knows, they can see the hypocrisy in that one kid. And 
and I think a lot of Mormon parents or even his friends would look at the other kid and say, you're a, you're a genuinely good person. But actually, the Bible says the same thing about both of them. The Bible says, and this is Romans 3, the Bible says that, that no one is righteous, Romans 3, 10, 10 through 12, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. And then verse 23, a little bit later in Romans 3, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. No exceptions. And so, Bo and KD, you were, you were both pretty good Mormons, you know, quote-unquote good Mormons. What would you... Like, how would you have responded to that verse right there? I'm sure you've, you'd read it before while you were Mormons. How did you understand a verse like that? I would have agreed with it. I think I would have said, look, I, I know that I fall short of, of God's standard. I'm trying every day to, to meet that standard, mm. right? And, I, and I'm praying for Jesus to, to help me every day reach that standard and, and asking for forgiveness when I fall short. Yeah, I think I would have said, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying, trying, trying my hardest. <laughs> I am yeah. trying to endure to the end. I am trying to be the person that I think God wants me to be. And yes, I sin. Yes, I fall short. But because I don't do any horrible sins... At least I'm not that person. At least I, you know, my sins are small comparatively. That's what I would have thought as a Mormon. And that's not good. Yeah, it's almost like you, you, you try to make yourself feel better by saying, well, I, I didn't, um, you know, maybe I didn't sin as bad as someone else or whatever. But, um, but yeah, even, even the primary song, right, in Mormonism comes to mind, which is I'm trying to be like Jesus. And, and that's, that's ingrained in you growing up. Um, and look, there's nothing wrong with trying to be like Jesus, but you're going to fail. Mm. Um, and, and you're going to fail miserably if you try to do it on your own. Uh, it's, it's not until you accept Jesus, and we're going to talk about this next week, but it's not until you, you accept Jesus as Lord of your life and, and essentially turn your life over to him that you can truly um, allow the spirit to work in you to for to accomplish God's purposes. Anyway, that that we we don't have to go down that road just yet. But um, but yeah, that's that's probably how I would have answered as a as a Mormon. Yeah, Jesus had this encounter with a rich guy um, in the Gospels, and and he and he said, "What what must what good thing must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven?" And even just in the guy's question. Jesus could tell that he was thinking about it in terms of works. He was thinking about it in terms of what of goodness. What that's literally that was a very Mormon question to ask. What good thing must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? To to be to to be right with God. And and Jesus, his answer was really interesting because he get, he said, "You know the commandments," and he and Jesus lists out for him. This is in Mark. 10 or 11, somewhere in there, he, he, he lists out this answer, and he, and he lists out uh, five or six of the Ten Commandments, like things like don't murder, 
don't commit adultery. So basically, he lists out the 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 ethical commandments, the commandments that have to do with relationships with people here on earth. And the and the rich man was like, "Yeah, I've done it all. I've kept all those things." So it's like Jesus is setting him up. I think Jesus knew he was going to answer like that. In fact, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So there's there's a sense that that Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't love hypocrites. So I don't think the guy was being hypocritical. To me, he that guy was a good Mormon. He was a good Mormon. I mean, there weren't Mormons back then, but that's what he was like. He was like you two. And and Jesus looked at him and loved him and and re- like because the guy really thought he was onto something. He really thought that he could do something to be saved. And and Jesus, anyway, Jesus goes on and he says, well, one thing you lack, go sell all your possessions. So Jesus wanted to see where his real loyalty was. And the guy walked away sad because he was really rich. And so what Jesus did there is, I think he exposed like works-based or what I like to call list-based religion. A list-based religion, here's the problem with a list-based religion, is the list doesn't cover everything. It can't. So if you're really good at keeping a finite list, like I'm really good at not drinking coffee, I'm really good at not swearing, I'm really good at being faithful to my wife, I'm, I'm really good at like serving in my ward. The problem is that list only scratches the surface of re- what really matters to God. And underneath the surface is all, like all of this, this what, I would, what the Bible calls heart stuff. It's really about getting to the heart the heart of the problem. And it makes, it makes us think about this Galatians 5, this list from Galatians 5. Paul writes, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And then he, he starts to list out sins. And I, this is just one of several sin lists in the Bible, but I just want to read this because it's so interesting for our people with Mormon background trying to really wrap their mind around sin. I mean, just think about these sins. It, Bo and Katie, you talked about the big ones and the little ones and the ones that disqualify you and the, the ones that, you know, whatever. So think about that and, and overlay that to this list. Here's what Paul says. Number one, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Those are probably like the chastity sins, right? Breaking the law of chastity. And he goes on, idolatry, sorcery. And you're, you're reading, I mean, you're five deep in the list already, and you're saying, okay, these are like bishop-level sins, aren't they? These are the kinds of sins that if you were messed up in this, you probably are going to be held back from going on your mission for a few months at least, because you got to work these sins off. But, but here's what I love about it, is Paul continues on in the list, okay? So he starts with those big, these big, heavy-hitting ones, and then listen to the next part of the list, hostility, quarreling jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. And what I love about it is he's not making any distinction. He's calling all of these things, following the desires of your sinful nature. And he says at the end of the list, he says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're like, wait a minute, anyone who's hostile? Anyone who quarrels will not inherit the kingdom of God. What hope is there for any of us? In fact, that's what the disciples said to the to Jesus after the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus with his, you know, just sad because he was so rich. The disciples like, they're like, how could how can anyone, how can anyone ever be made right with God? How can anyone enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus' answer was, 
with with God, anything is possible. And so again, like you said, Bo, we're going to see the solution to all of this in a couple of weeks. But I don't think the solution makes sense to the person who doesn't really understand what sin is. It's not just the big sins. It's not just the first five from the list. It's even the little ones. And, and I think just understanding what sin is. And, and sin is essentially, it's going against God's will, right? Um, we all do it. We're all sinners. And all of us, like, like you just read, all of us fall short of God's glorious standard. So if we're all sinners, then, you know, when, when we say, well, that he was a good person, this other one was, a, was not a good person, like, no, we're all broken in every way. And there is no hope but one. Um, and it's the one true God. Like, that's the hope. And, and, uh, and for me, um, realizing that it didn't matter how many boxes I checked, there were still too many to check because mm. I'm not perfect. Mm. Um, for me, that, that was what helped me realize that I'm broken just as much as anybody else. And, uh, and it's because of sin that I'll, I'll never be right. I'll never be able to overcome it. It feels almost hopeless until you realize where you can place your hope. And, uh, and when you realize you can place your hope in Jesus, when you realize what Jesus has done for you, when you realize the condescension of God and what that really means, um, cause he didn't need to, right. He didn't need to come save his creation, but because of his infinite love, he did. And, and he, he came to earth, uh, got a, a mortal body overcame sin and death. And that's what allowed, you know, sinners like me, sinners like you, sinners like everybody, uh, to actually have a hope. Um, so, so it, for me, the, the hope would be <laughs> that we find Jesus and uh, that we realize we're broken. We realize we're, we're never going to make it on our own and that, that we find Jesus. So next week, that's, that's what we're covering. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about what it means to be born again. And, and I think that's, it's an interesting one because, again, for, for our, our listeners with a Mormon background— um, the word born again is, is an interesting one because they hear the word, the term born again, Christian, and they really don't know what that means. They think it's your excuse to just keep on living a sinful mm. life, right? Because again, Mormons are working for their salvation or they're trying to be good people. And that's, there's nothing wrong with trying to be good people. But anyway, next week we'll, <laughs> there's so much I want to get into next week. We'll talk about born again and what that actually means. Um, and, and why we all need to be born again, why that's really, you know, the the hope for humanity. Bo, I just have one, Bo and Katie, I have one more question for you, because I, I think that it wouldn't be right for us to end this episode without asking the question that probably every Mormon has been conditioned to ask, which is, so is grace a license to sin, right? I mean, you just hinted at it just there, Bo, that I, cause I don't want, I don't want people who are, 
who have a Mormon background, who are really trying to understand a biblical perspective. I don't want them to misunderstand what we're saying. I don't want them to misinterpret what we're saying, because how would, how do, how are Mormons, how do Mormons think, sorry, what do Mormons think that Christians think about sin? Right? What are you taught in the ward about how Christians view sin? And I, I think this is not just good for a, a person with a Mormon background to understand, but I think this is really helpful for our Christian listeners to hear as well. Like how our how evangelical born again Christians are perceived by Mormons when it comes to this topic. For Mormons um, who think about Christians and being saved by grace, at least for me, when I was Mormon, it was kind of like, oh, they just, wait, they just get to like say they believe in Jesus and that's it for the rest of their life. And that was so foreign to me. Mm. And it seemed so lazy. It seemed so like, like that's your one time blanket covered covers everything, and then you can go live your life however you want. Or like Christians don't take sin seriously almost? It's the that Jesus is the get-out-of-jail-free card mm. in, in Monopoly, right? And they play that card once, and they win the game. But that's kind of what, what a Mormon would think of this. So it's, it's interesting, right? Because from a Mormon perspective, it is lazy. Like, yeah. it, it really is. Like, what do you mean? You, you accepted Jesus once, you said, I believe— and now you're, you can just live however you want to live. But that right there, live however you want to live, that's the difference. Mm. Because when someone has accepted Jesus, when they've, when they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, there is a change that takes place. And that's the change we're talking about next week. It's being born again. If you're truly born again, uh, and we'll talk about this, are you going to keep on living the way you want to live? No. You're going to uh, you're going to change. You're going to become a new creation. You are being born again, uh, and you're turning into someone different. and And that's what I think Mormons don't understand um, about about Christians when they accept Jesus. And and so it's it's easy from a Mormon perspective to think, oh yeah, they're just they they say they accept Jesus once and they can they just go on sinning. And it's like, well. Look, dude, you're you're sinning too, so stop that. First off, stop judging. But the, but the second thing is, um, I, I think it's we don't realize the change that's happening inside of someone, um, and, and you see it right as, as they live their life. So anyway, uh, hopefully that makes sense. But I'm I'm trying to explain what we're going to get into next week without without blowing it because <laughs> hopefully we can get into it in, in detail well, next week. I but. love that you brought up the concept of born again, because that really puts an exclamation point on everything we're talking about today. The reason you need to be born again is because you were born into sin. If you weren't yes. born into sin, you wouldn't have to be born again. But because you're born into sin, you have a fundamental problem, not just a surface problem. It's not just a list keeping problem. It is like a deep beneath the surface problem. So for our listeners with a with a Mormon background who don't understand that, you're until you understand that, then everything we say in the next couple of weeks isn't going to matter because until you understand that at the root every part of you is broken in every way, 
and not and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. It's all of us, me, you guys, all of us. Until a person understands that, then they can't really understand the gift that Jesus is offering us. The problem of sin affects us all from birth. And the solution is to start over. The solution isn't to like be a 2.0 version of ourselves. The solution isn't just to try to be a little bit better tomorrow than we were today. Jesus, Jesus is saying basically to, in John 3, 3, where he says, you need, you need to be born again. He's saying your first birth doomed you to a life of sin, <laughs> but your rebirth can undo the damage. And, and here's the other thing about that visual or the language of born again. I, I love the language, by the way. Jesus isn't suggesting that you can change your sinful nature. He isn't asking you to stop sinning and to tr- try being a better person. Here's what he's saying. I mean, think about how birth works. KD, you, you understand this better than we do because <laughs> you've given birth, right? So how much work did your babies do to be brought into the world? They did no work. They did <laughs> no work. They did nothing. They didn't know. I mean, you're talking to someone that went natural. So let's, that was intense. I did all the work. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and I think when they grow, the, as your kids grow older, just like for us, like we realize that something, something beyond our control happened to us. That that's what birth is. That's how birth works. You don't earn it. Somebody else does all the work to make it happen. And, and being born again works the same exact way. Jesus did the work to make eternal life, freedom, righteousness, salvation. Jesus did all the work to make it possible. And that's what we're going to be talking about in our next lesson. Hey, listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we wanna make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit pursuegod.org forward slash donate.